Right, go ahead with the logic. Okay, Mark, logic one and two, Mark. Houston, we are set. We have a cryo press light. Roger, copy, cryo press light. Apollo 11, this is uh, Houston. Minus 10, 9, 8. We have a go for main engine start. We have main engine start. 4, 3, 2, 1, 0. Hello and welcome to Space Gen, the show where you find out all the latest from the space industry. You can catch our episodes on X-Ray FM every Wednesday at 8 a.m. or on SoundCloud by searching Space Gen. I'm your host, Daniel Trainer, and let's get into the news. So when it comes to space exploration, we're going to have to rely on robots. And we've seen all sorts of humanoid robots, especially like Fedder, kind of looks like the big Terminator-esque, well, what you would think a robot should look like. And it's been very successful up to this point, and we've now got the Indian Space Research Organization with their own humanoid robot. Now, the chief uh, of the whole operation, Kalo Savadivo Sivan, confirmed the beginning of their third lunar mission, Chandrayaan-3. Now, this time, the organization wants to send a female humanoid robot named Viomitra on an unmanned mission. The unmanned flights are part of the bigger Gagnon project, which eventually will send Indian astronauts into space. So the ISRO unveiled the robot prototype Vion Mitra at a media event in Bengaluru, India, where they showed the bot off with her conversational skills. She quote said, I can be your companion and converse with astronauts, recognize them, and also report to their queries. At the event, the robot, I mean, to be honest, this robot did look more like a conservative businesswoman in a gray suit than an astronaut, but you know, maybe that'll come a little later. But for now, she looks human enough. The robot can also mimic human crew, like switch panel operations, and that's all according to the ISRO chief, Sivan. However, while Vion Mitra can chat with astronauts, she's not built to be like them. And why do I say that? Well, the robot doesn't have a full body. Now, the ISRO scientist Sam Dayal said it's half humanoid because it doesn't have legs. It can only bend sidewards and forward. It will carry out certain experiments and will always remain in touch with the ISRO command center. Now, Vion Mitra will be on board the unmanned missions, and the ISRO has planned all of this to happen for December 2020 and June 2021. So again, this is very soon. She also isn't the first robot who's gone into space. As we know, we've got Fedder, but other legless robots like Robonaut 2, which launched on the ISS in 2011, and that performed experiments in stationary positions inside the craft. Then you had Karobo, which was the Japanese humanoid robot developed to entertain astronauts, which was sent to the ISS in 2014. Will this be a success? Well, I guess we'll just have to wait and see on that one. But, you know, the use of a social robot in space it seems to be a more and more popular idea. You know, you've got psychological health that you need to be careful about, especially when you're in a confined space environment. So maybe having a humanoid robot talk to you, it could make it possible for humans to go out alone into space for long missions. A bit like the 2009 film Moon. Talking a bit more about launching into space, 
The United Launch Alliance loaded their super-cold liquid hydrogen and liquid oxygen into an Atlas V rocket recently at the Cape Canaveral during the countdown dress rehearsal for a planned launch next month with the Solar Orbiter mission. Now, what is the Solar Orbiter mission? Well, it's a robotic spacecraft that's going to be able to study the origins of solar wind and image the sun's poles for the first time. Now, the Atlas V wet dress rehearsal, which was just done this Friday at the Cape Canaveral's Complex 14 launch pad, served as a practice run for the launch day procedures ULA crews will perform during the real countdown. The wet dress rehearsal is not only a part of the standard Atlas V launch campaign, but NASA requires extra tests for missions that have limited planetary launch windows. Solar Orbiter is such a mission, and it only has a 19-day launch opportunity for next month, beginning on February 5th, to reach a near flyby with Venus in December. And that obviously uses the planet's gravity to slingshot it way closer to the sun. February 5th is the launch window as we know, and it's going to be specifically at 11.27pm Eastern Standard Time, and that extends for about 2 hours. But teams that are assessing schedules for the Atlas V and the Solar Orbiter after the 2 day delay in completing the wet dress rehearsal. So the launch delay is going to be beyond February 5th, and hopefully that doesn't happen though. But ULA previously had planned to perform the wet dress rehearsal on Wednesday. Uh, teams transferred the rocket to its mobile launch pad 41, and that was all on Tuesday to prepare for the countdown demonstration. But gusty winds Wednesday had dislodged a cooling duct connection between the Atlas V and the launch pad. Workers, they rolled the rocket back into ULA's vertical integration facility on Wednesday evening fixed the problem, then they returned the Atlas V back to Pad 41 Thursday along a quarter mile rail track between the assembly building and the launch mount. So the simulated countdown Friday included loading the Atlas V up with cryogenic liquid oxygen into the Atlas's first stage booster and Centaur stage. RP-1 kerosene, which fuels the first stage's RD-180 engine, was loaded into the Atlas V earlier this week after the rocket's first rollout Tuesday. The kerosene fuel was stored at room temperature and can remain on the rocket for extended periods of time, unlike the hydrogen and oxygen propellants. After the countdown, the final moments before ignition of the first stage main engine, ULA stopped the clock and began procedures to offload the liquid hydrogen and liquid oxygen. After securing the rocket, teams then will return the Atlas V to the VIF on Saturday in preparation to attach the Solar Orbiter spacecraft. Now, the Solar Orbiter, because we should talk a little bit more about that, that's a cooperative mission led by the European Space Agency and NASA. Built in Britain by Airbus Defence and Space, the Solar Orbiter spacecraft arrived at the Kennedy Space Centre aboard a transport plane from Europe on November 1st. Since then, the spacecraft has been tested, fueled, it's been inside a clean room at the Astrotech payload processing facility nearby in Titusville. On Monday, technicians encapsulated the Solar Orbiter spacecraft inside the Atlas V rocket's payload fairing in preparation for a journey by road to the vertical integration facility at Pad 41, where the probe will be raised atop the launcher after it returns to the vertical hangar. 
For the Solar Orbiter mission, the Atlas V will fly in a rarely used 411 configuration that has a 4 meter fairing, a single strap-on solid rocket booster, and a Centaur upper stage powered by a single RL-10 engine. So the Solar Orbiter launch is going to mark the 82nd flight of the Atlas V rocket since 2002, and just the 6th Atlas V to use the 411 version. So 10 scientific instruments aboard the Solar Orbiter, like I said, they're going to measure the sun's output, and they're going to take the first detailed images of the sun's poles. So scientists will use this data from the Solar Orbiter in tandem with measurements from NASA's Parker Solar Probe to better understand what causes solar wind and what drives the 11-year solar cycle. After a series of gravity assist flybys of Venus, the solar orbiter's trajectory around the sun will reach a tilt of some 25 degrees, allowing the spacecraft to take pictures of the sun's poles for the first time. So definitely, this is not a launch you want to miss. Now, when we talk about getting to Mars or the moon, you know, we have to use rovers for some of the operations. Doing tests, that's very important, and having something go wrong, that helps even more, because when we learn about how a rover is going to work, the worst thing that you can have is for everything to go perfectly. Now, just recently, there was a software glitch that left NASA's Curiosity rover frozen in place forcing scientists to come up with a fix so that the robot could resume its exploration of Mars. So this is a multi-billion dollar rover, and it's been operating on Mars since mid-2012, unleashing a battery of tests and tools on the Red Planet atop of a six-wheeled platform. But on January 20th this year, Curiosity encountered a little bit of a glitch, and that triggered it into safety mode, whereby the rover completely ceased any movement. Now, although the, there's a safety function, you know, it's, it's really good, it does prevent further scientific work when there really is nothing wrong. Now, according to Don Sumner, who's the planetary geologist at the University of California, Davis, said, the body awareness, also known as, quote, attitude, is checked before any motor on the rover is activated. That way, it stands a better chance of spotting a potential issue before it happens. Remember, this is a multi-billion dollar rover, so you need to have all these things in place to make sure nothing goes wrong. She said, when the answer is no, or maybe even maybe not, the Curiosity stops without turning its motor. This conservative approach helps keep the Curiosity from hitting its arm on rocks, driving over something dangerous, or pointing an unprotected camera at the sun. It was that safety evaluation which was interrupted with, quote, some knowledge of Curiosity's attitude of escaping it. Now, the rover did continue sending back information to Earth that allowed scientists on the ground to come up with a recovery plan. Now, she said the engineers on the team built a plan to inform Curiosity of its attitude and to confirm what had happened. We want Curiosity to recover its ability to make its safety checks, and we also want to know if there's anything we can do to prevent a similar problem from happening in the future. So happily, you know, the fix worked. The atmospheric scientist Scott Guswich at the NASA Goddard Space Flight Center confirmed that all in an update, it all went well, and the rover is getting enough knowledge about its own positioning to resume activities. In the future, the hope is that the rover will be able to make more automatic recoveries and get underway again, rather than requiring all this sort of a remote intervention. Now, over at Saturn's moon Enceladus, there's now an even better chance of supporting extraterrestrial life than previously thought. 
researchers have discovered its oceans are more complex than first believed. The moon and its oceans, they shoot plumes of carbon dioxide into space, and researchers have found that using data from NASA's Cassini spacecraft, that the findings published in the geophysical research letters point to reactions between the water and the core of the celestial satellite as the source of complexity. And that was all thanks to a new technique discovered by the researchers. SWRI researcher Christopher Glean said, By understanding the composition of the plume, we can learn about what the ocean is like, how did it come to be this way, and whether it provides an environment where life as we know it could survive. We came up with a new technique for analysing the plume composition to estimate the concentration of the dissolved CO2 in the ocean. This enabled modelling to probe deeper into the interior processes. But talking a little bit about the Cassini craft, uh, so the Cassini spacecraft intentionally plunged itself into Saturn's atmosphere back in September 2017, after it was launched in 1997 at a total cost of 3.9 billion dollars. Remember, that was 2.5 billion was in pre-launch costs and 1.4 billion in post-launch costs, because obviously we had to monitor this thing for the last 13 years. So it was circling and studying and taking data of Saturn and its moons, and combined with the previous discoveries of molecular hydrogen and silica, the abundance of carbon dioxide reacting with the core of the moon and the water of the moon's subsurface oceans, it did add quite a lot of credence to the idea that there are energy sources on Enceladus that can support life. So, you know, SWRI's Hunter Waite said, the dynamic interface of complex core and seawater could potentially create energy sources that might support life. While we haven't found evidence of a presence or a microbial life in the ocean of Enceladus, the growing evidence for chemical disequilibrium offers a tantalizing hint that habitable conditions could exist beneath the moon's icy crust. Glean said the implications for possible life enabled by a heterogeneous core structure are very intriguing. This model could explain how planetary differentiation and alteration processes create chemical gradients needed for subsurface life. Prior to the flybys of Voyager 1 and Voyager 2 in the early 1980s, not much was known about the ocean world moon despite it being discovered in 1789. In 2017, NASA founded the presence of hydrogen in its atmospheres, something Linda Spilker, who's the Cassini project scientist at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory, said at the time could be meaningful as, quote, a potential source for energy from any microbes. One year later, scientists made a startling announcement when they said that they had found complex organic molecules, the building blocks of life, on the actual moon. Separately, that year, researchers determined that Enceladus Ocean is most likely 1 billion years old, placing it in the sweet spot for supporting life. But as we know, Enceladus is not the only celestial satellite of Saturn to kind of intrigue scientists. In June, NASA announced the latest mission for its new Frontiers program. It's going to be known as Dragonfly, and the mission is going to explore Saturn's largest moon. Titan, which could potentially host extraterrestrial life. But one thing is very clear, the 2020s is when we're going to find out. Again, this is all news we just had in the last week. This is how quick things are starting to move, and as I've said before, we really are heading into a new space age. So if you like hearing about the news, make sure to tune in every Wednesday at 8am on X-Ray FM or on SoundCloud by searching Space Gen. I'm your host, Daniel Trainer, and I'll see you next time.